Welcome to Behind the Curtain, L.A. Opera's podcast series in which we look deeply at the creative process and explore opera's enduring themes and power to move us. Welcome back. This is James Conlon, Music Director of Los Angeles Opera. We're going to be talking about Debussy's opera, Peleas and Melisande. Peleas and Melisande are gradually going to discover their love for each other. Now, we don't know when it started. We'll learn at the end of the opera that Melisande said, it started the first time I saw you. Peleas, very slowly, is only becoming conscious of this attraction. But there's Melisande in her little tower with his beautiful long hair. And, well, I think there's a fairy tale of Rumpelstiltskin where there's a princess with long hair. She's going to let that hair down. We're going to feel that sensuality. There she is with Peleas, and her hair becomes a symbol of that. If you can hear the hair descending... Peleas, what is this? Your hair, your hair has descended all over me. And then he will rhapsodize about her hair. Golo catches them, however, and he brings Peleas down to the cellars of the castle the next day to frighten him and to show him death. Remember that the interplay of dark and light is very important. This is the clearly dark. You've never come down here, Peleas. Yes, I was down here once. But that was long ago. Here's the stagnant water of which I spoke, says Golo. Now is the moment to mention that Debussy was fascinated with Edgar Allan Poe. And you can see the effects, the sense of horror. Think of the that side of Poe, which is so important. In fact, he wrote an opera, he didn't quite complete it, called The House of Usher which is based on Edgar Allan Poe. But we see the influence of Poe in this scene. Although Metterlink wrote the, wrote the scene, we can feel Debussy's attraction to the atmosphere of Edgar Allan Poe. Well, now they're going to come up from the cellars. And very slowly and gradually, they're going to see the light. And this metaphorically is the Transition from darkness to light, from death to life. You hear the increasing light. Quickly change to La Mer, the first movement, which is the light going from dawn to midday.
Now, before the end of Act 3, we are going to meet Golo's little son, whose name is Ignold. As Golo's jealousy increases, he's going to become increasingly violent. We're going to see that come out here. He takes Ignold and he puts him on his shoulders and he says, I want you to look into the room during the night. Is Peleas there with Melisande? Yes, she's there, Papa. What are they doing? They're talking. Are they close to each other? In other words, he interrogates Ignold. Finally, Ignold is terrified himself. The act comes crashing down with a terrifying scene of Golo's anger, where he brusquely pulls Ignold away from the window. Are they talking? No, Papa. They're not talking. What are they doing? They're looking at the light. Both of them? Yes, Papa. They don't say anything? No. You feel the tension rising? Are they getting close to each other? No, Papa. I'm terribly afraid. Keep looking, keep looking. Let me get down, Papa. Let me get down. No, I can't anymore. Let me down. Let me down. Come on. And Golo pulls Ignold away. You recall a little earlier, I mentioned that Debussy didn't like to use the voice in its upper registers, except for moments that are very important. This is an important moment. Here we see Golo losing control of himself with his anger, and he turns violent. And he's going to do it again in the next scene, where he's going to pull Melisande by the hair. Now he drags Melisande by her long hair. Finally, your hair serves a purpose. To the right, and then to the left. Uh, to the left, to the right. Absalom, he refers to the biblical character who had long hair. Forward, backwards, down to the ground. You see? I'm laughing like an old man. This terrible and terrifying scene of domestic violence. The opera is set, we don't know where, we don't know how many centuries ago, but the material of the passions of the human beings is as relevant today as it was at any time in history. This cruel scene evokes the sympathy and pity of old Arkell, who says, if I were God, I would have pity on the hearts of mankind. And then the orchestra takes over. Peleas is connected by a series of orchestral interludes where he gives voice to a great 
mystical themes or love themes or passions. We relive what we just saw. They are very plastic. They originally had a practical purpose to change the scenery. And here it is at its climax. The interludes were not there at the beginning. Debussy was forced to write them because it took too long to change the scenery. But just another example how out of necessity is born something great. In this interlude, Debussy seems to sum up the totality of this great drama. And after a short scene where we see Ignold looking at the sheep probably going to slaughter, symbolic, of course, he can't find his ball that he was playing with, so he goes home. Peleas arrives, he goes to the fountain, the fountain that we saw at the beginning of Act Two. He's awaiting Melisande. She eventually comes, and for the first time, they express their mutual love. We heard this earlier. Now you're going to hear it in context. I love you. I also love you. Magic. So they're not going to shout about their love. It's tender. It's sensitive. But after a beautiful scene, it's reaching its climax. Now sensuality, give me your mouth. Yes, yes, yes. Love theme. Now they've raised their voices in the Italian manner. You remember this? When Debussy wants it, he uses it, but very rarely, sparingly, and it has all the more effect because of that. We continue until the scene reaches its climax. Now, one would assume that this would move into then a passionate scene of lovemaking, but it's interrupted by whom? Out of the shadows comes Golo. There's his motive. He takes his sword. 
Melisande runs away. Colo grasps Peleas. And kills him. Very difficult to talk after you hear that. But we know what the source of this is. Let's go back to Wagner, go into the second act of Tristan and Isolde, and remember at the climax of their duets, this ecstatic music, passionate, spiritual, sensuous. Will they reach that? Interrupted. What happened? King Mark, the husband, returned. And so we see exactly the same structure. So there's no question that the great shadow of Tristan is being felt in this context. Well, we're into the last act. Time has passed. You've heard Tristan and Isolde. And here's Peleas and Melisande. After several weeks, several months, we don't know how much time. Melisande is dying. Melisande is lying in her bed in the chateau. There's a doctor at hand. She has given birth. There's a baby girl. We feel the gentleness and the quiet of the scene. The light comes through the windows. And this quiet, gentle, lamenting theme will become the main motive of the last act. Tenderness. In this scene, Golo will beg forgiveness. Melisande will say, where's Peleas? She doesn't know that he's dead. Golo insists on knowing the truth. Were they lovers? Did they love each other? She said, yes, we loved each other. He said, no, no, I mean, did you love each other with a forbidden love? But she never answers. And she never answers anything. In fact, all of her answers are elliptical. We never learn anything about Melisande throughout the entire opera, questions, answers that don't quite answer the question. So she remains a mystery. And part of the magic of this opera is that we're fascinated with her. We want to know who she is, but she resists any definition. Who is she? We don't know. Where did she come from? We don't know. How did she feel about this? We don't know. 
And yet, there she is, fascinating to Peleas, fascinating to Golo, fascinating to us. Golo, insistent, wanting to know the truth, but Melisande is too distant now. He's repentant, and yet he still cannot control his rage. And even in the face of Melisande's demise, he cannot help himself. This is the tragedy of a very complex character. Finally, Arkel comes in and says, you can no longer raise your voice. And he sings what is, in a sense, a eulogy before the fact. He says, listen, attention. You must speak softly now. And the elegy is in the orchestra. We should not worry her. The human soul is silent. The human soul likes to leave at its own pace. She suffers so timidly. Oh, the sadness. But the sadness, the sadness of all that one sees. Finally, she will pass away in silence the way she lived. Hear the impressive stillness of the moment. Yes, it's sure. She's gone. didn't see anything. She went so fast. She went without saying anything. Now, not to shock you, but isn't this a far cry from the classic Italian soprano who dies singing a high note while the orchestra thunders fortissimo? I'm not saying it's bad. It isn't. 
I'm just saying it's different. Violetta dies in the last act of La Traviata. If that feels vaguely out of place at this moment, it's because we've gradually become accustomed to the aesthetic of Debussy. I love La Traviata. I love Verdi. I love Wagner. But it's another aesthetic. But this aesthetic has a power to draw us in so that something we love in its proper context, like Verdi, like Wagner, seems out of place. And that's what I mean by the obsessive, addictive quality of Pelias and Bélisande. Arkel takes the little baby in his arms and he says, now it's her turn. Now it's the turn of this little creature, showing us the cyclical nature of life. All tenderness. It's important that that baby live. Now... To replace Melisande, it's the turn of this little creature. Now, I'm looking forward to seeing all of you, and you and I will be able to go further with this fascinating opera, Peleas and Melisande. This is James Conlon, music director of Los Angeles Opera. If you've enjoyed listening to L.A. Opera's Behind the Curtain, you'll want to make sure you don't miss an episode. Please subscribe and leave a rating or review on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen. Don't forget to share this with your friends on Twitter and Facebook, and we'll see you at the opera.